This is Life After a Coma, Living with TBI, a podcast about traumatic brain injury. My name is Nicole. And my name is Brandon. I had a severe traumatic brain injury that changed my life, and I want to shed some light on one of America's most common killers, head injury. Traumatic brain injury deaths in 2014 numbered just under 57,000. ER visits and hospitalizations were at 2.8 million. Millions of people are living with TBI and don't even know it. Join us through injury, recovery, and a return to a new normal. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Nicole. And I am creating a podcast series specifically aimed at caregivers. Um, I know how hard it is to be a caregiver. And I know how hard it is to get through the initial crisis and the initial trauma of your loved one um, being in the hospital and going through recovery. So this podcast is really for those mothers, fathers, friends, spouses, loved ones who don't know what they can do to either help a caregiver or support their loved one in these rough times. So stay tuned. I'm not sure how long this series is going to be. There's a lot for me to cover, Um, but we'll just call this the beginning to our group support. Okay, welcome back to the caregiver series. Today, I wanted to think about things that aren't commonly discussed about uh, being a caregiver, and that's the loneliness. It's very lonely to be a caregiver. Um, Not a lot of people understand that your world is just like revolving around them. You can't just go out and do things like you used to. You have to be constantly aware of the environment, of the stressors, the the noise level. Can they do this? Is this okay? How will this make them feel? Um, Do do I have um, an out of a situation if they get overstimulated? And I'm sure, you know, this goes for all types of caregivers, not just brain injury. But then again, the brain injury community is very small. Um, I don't think you guys get enough credit as caregivers when it comes to the loneliness. I know that there's support groups, um, but if you haven't noticed, I'm quite young myself. I'm only 30 years old, and I know that there are a lot of people older than me who go through being a caregiver for their spouse due to a stroke or an injury, and they're in their 60s or 70s. It's kind of harder to talk about being a caregiver when you're in your 30s or early 20s or late mid-20s. Even in your 40s, you know, when you're just now starting a family, you just got married or you were a fiancé or whatever, it's hard to approach the older community and talk about what you wanted in life and how that was taken away from you. You know, these these are people who basically have already, you know, accomplished a lot. They've got a stable career most of the time, right? They've got children. They had the opportunity to be with their spouse or loved one for the last 10, 15, 20 years, sometimes even longer. So there's a lot of loneliness in the caregiver community around my age. Um, 
I feel like that's so important to talk about because, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you deal with it? How do you turn it off and on being a caregiver? Like, what do you do to manage your life and not go crazy, but also, you know, being a good caregiver? So let's talk about the on and off switch. I've had so many people come and approach me and they ask, Nicole, this is a lot of work. How do you maintain your relationship with your husband? How are you a wife and a caregiver at the same time? (laughs) And I'm not going to lie. It's hard. It's difficult. But the easiest the easiest way to explain it is just having the right expectations and having the right boundaries. So these are the expectations in our relationship. I expect that, you know, you're, you're different. You're maybe a little bit more outgoing. You're more verbal. You have less of a filter, sure, whatever. But the romance should still be there if you expect me to be intimate with you right? That expectation doesn't change because of a head injury. Um, It depends on the degree of the head injury, obviously, but something that I just brings me to tears to even think about when Brandon was in the hospital and he was in rehab um, in Virginia on Ward 2B, very famous. I recommend that you read the book. Um, from 2B for brain injury. I have to find it. I still have it. But there's this one lady, okay? she I can't remember her name, and I don't think I should even say it, but she was in an IED or she got hit by a car or something, and she was a veteran, and she was just, you know, 45, 50 or something like that. But she, she had a fiancé, and, you know, they were a little older to – to get engaged and get married. But what I noticed um, in regards to intimacy and caregivership was the fiance never stopped being intimate. And by intimate, I mean hugging and kissing and holding hands despite the severity of her brain injury. Um, She couldn't remember much of anything. She couldn't barely talk, really. She... She, whenever she would talk, it was just nonsense and she couldn't walk. And it was very difficult, honestly, to for me to see and know where she came from and how brilliant of a woman she was. You know, she was in leadership and her and her career was just established and she was engaged to be married to this amazing guy. And the brain injury just, you know, flat out changed her whole life and his whole life. But regardless, every weekend when he was able to visit, um, because she was there for a long, long time, almost over a year, right, recovering, he would come visit and it would go between him helping her with the physical rehab, him helping her with the speech therapy to, okay, now, now that we're done with the therapy stuff, let's, let's hug, let's cuddle, let's watch TV, let's watch a movie. And I would pass them with Brandon in the halls and I would see them just cuddling and watching a movie. And he would just be stroking her head and just telling her that it was okay. And I think that it's so important to be able to distinguish 
and communicate that now is a time for us to be a caregiver and then now is a time for us to be loving and supportive and a spouse. You can't just be loving and supportive and then also be a caregiver. There are hard moments being a caregiver where you have to know you have to do this. You have to stand up and stretch your leg. You have to do something that's painful. You don't want to try and do your speech therapy and you're going to yell and and throw a fit, but you have to do it. And then taking that, turning it off and saying, you know what? Now is a good time for us to just cuddle. Um, How do I do it? You just do. Like, when when I was with Brandon in the early days of his of his therapy and his rehab, you had to have an on and off switch. You can't just always be a caregiver. You have to allow yourself to say, right now, I'm not a caregiver. Right now would be an amazing time for us to practice memory or something. But I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to point out the fact that, you know, he said this or that wrong or, you know, he hasn't stretched in the last two or three hours. It's Sunday. Let's just spend time together, just us. And you have to just block out all the medical stuff and be there. Just be there, you know, as if you just are who you are and it's a regular day. That is so critical. Um, And even... When managing the household now that we're home, you know, we still have those moments where it's the expectations and and boundaries, you know. One of the things that I do that I've I've really just it's hard to manage is where do you draw the line between prompting for memory and nagging? <laughs> um, in regards to like chores, right? Chore work like doing the dishes. Like if I ask you to do the dishes today and I don't see you write it down, I know I'm going to have to go and prompt you in two or three hours and ask you if you did the dishes. But how do I approach that as a caregiver and then also not nag you because I'm your wife? Um, And honestly, there's no simple answer. I think that caregivers are listening to this and they're just laughing like, yeah, that's... (laughs) It's almost impossible, but just being aware that those lines can be blurred, um, it can be difficult. So being able to step back and say, okay, I'm going to go prompt, but instead of saying, hey, did you do the dishes? You can approach and say something more helpful along the lines of, how's your day going? What are you enjoying right now? Like, what are you doing? What's up? Tell me, tell me what's going on. Do you remember your day? Did you eat breakfast? Okay, great. Have we been in the kitchen today? All right, that's fine. Hey, can I ask you to do the dishes for me? And then approaching it in a more loving and compassionate way and understanding that, you know, they may have forgotten. Um, but, you know, you still have to prompt them to do chores. And then I know, you know, I visit, I'm very active in the in the Reddit community um, for the TBI community on Reddit. And one of the common questions I see is, how do you, how do you prompt for chores? What do you do? How do you remind them to do chores without driving yourself crazy, without reminding them every 30 minutes? Again, it depends. <laughs> I think in our last episode, we talked about the tools that we use that can be incredibly helpful. 
you know, we use Alexa, we use our smartphones, um, we have an app that records calls, we have calendars and lists. Oh my goodness, there's so many tools. But I think that the key here is putting them in places and doing it in a way that those tools can prompt without you having to prompt. You shouldn't take that burden on yourself. It shouldn't be your job to prompt every 30 minutes. Um, Now, if your spouse or loved one is absorbed in a movie or they get distracted and they're playing a game and it's okay now I have to go and remind them like they're you know a kid playing their xbox all day long for example now I feel like a parent now I feel like I'm just constantly a caregiver and not a spouse or not a regular person like I actually really do have to push them and nag them And in some cases, I would say that that's all right. Do it because they can't just do that. You have to actually push them a little bit to get them to see that there are other things outside of video games or movies or TV shows and have them do things that are more productive. One approach that I found that really honestly helps is having it visible. So we have a dry erase calendar that I would put up in the hall or near the kitchen. So anytime that you'd get up and go to the bathroom or get up and go into the kitchen, you could see what to do today. And we also had like a house notebook. Uh, It's not like a notebook. It was like a house calendar journal type thing. And it was, you know, sorted out like a planner for every day, but it was specifically for housework, specifically for chores and things that needed to be done that week. Um, And just pinning it on the wall so you could hang it up on the wall in the kitchen and anytime that you would pass by it you could see it and oh yeah okay this is what I'm doing today have I done it what time is it I'm gonna go do this right now um having that accountability and then asking hey did you take a look at the calendar today yet do you what's what's on deck what are you doing Putting that accountability and that expectation that this is their job to remember makes a world of difference than putting it on you to remember. And I hope that makes sense. But when I stepped back and I said, you know what, it's no longer my responsibility to remember for you. It's your responsibility and here are the tools to remember. Oh my goodness, my whole outlook, my the ability for me personally to function and for them to function and no longer being the nagging wife, it's such a relief. It's, it's a huge relief. And I highly recommend wherever you are in the stage of your recovery, if you're at home and you're, you're struggling with memory and impulse control and you're struggling with, um, you know, forgetfulness and Uh, All the other things that come along with it, um, having visual cues and getting into the habit of looking at them every day and asking, hey, what's on deck? What are we doing? What's, What's the schedule today? You're the boss. You tell me what are we doing? What's my chore today? You know, if you split them, what's my chore? What's your chore? What are we doing? That gives them the ability to be responsible for something right? Like, I don't know what we're doing today. You need to tell me. I don't freaking, if we don't have anything to do, great. If we do, fantastic. Um, This also works with finances. You know, like it could be very difficult to say, 
how much money do we have to spend this month, this week, today, whatever? Do we have like, okay, one thing that Brandon does, he'll come to me and he says, I want to get this. Okay, great. How much is it? Oh, it's X. It's $10. All right. Do we have money in our bank account? I don't know. Let me check. And so he has to pull up the app, go on the phone, and then look at the bank account and tell me, oh, we have $500 in our bank account. Great. And what bills did we pay? I don't know. Like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't know what bills we paid. And I say, well, look, you're the money man. Everything's on auto pay. All of our, you know, paychecks go into the one bank account. All the auto pays are set. We just have to make sure that, you know, we don't overspend so that those payments, you know, can take effect and we don't like miss a payment or whatever. But it's your job to know you have a list somewhere on your phone or you wrote it down. You can check and see what time of the month each bill comes out. You could tell me, oh, we paid the car note. We paid the mortgage. We paid the electricity and the water. I think we're good. We can, we can go and we can buy this. That's your job. I'm not going to sit here and just give you the answer when I know that you have the ability to to tell me yourself. And obviously this this doesn't work for everyone. It does work for me and him. And I just I highly recommend you to look at your look at your life. Ask yourself, what am I doing that I don't need to that I know I can make him do it? That that take that take that responsibility and that stress off of your shoulders. Let them be responsible. Let them be an adult and take that from you and hold them hold them responsible now does that mean that everything's gonna run smoothly no but you know what that's okay that's I'm so okay with some things not running smoothly and keeping my sanity um one of the things that I like to tell people (laughs) Nicole if you don't do this how does it get done but doesn't oh my God, doesn't that like affect you? No. What's the worst that could happen? You know, you have to just weigh the costs and the risks and just, if it's not that important, just let it go. It's not a big deal. Um, Now, if it's going to cause massive damage to your house, to your finances, (laughs) maybe don't, don't like step in and say, hey, no, absolutely not. We, like I have to tell my husband, we are not buying another car. No, we don't have the money for that. I'll tell you right now, absolutely not. Maybe in two, three years. But if it's just like, I want a video game. Can we go purchase something for 40, 50 bucks, however much it costs these days? Okay, yeah, you tell me. Do we have the money? And then we go, th- we go through the accountability. We go through the responsibility routine. I don't hold myself accountable to it. If we miss a bill and there's a late payment, oh, well. Okay, to me, it doesn't matter that much. One bill, one missed payment, uh, give or take, it's it's not a huge deal. As long as we pay our mortgage every month, that's the main thing, right? As long as we still have electricity and we still have water flowing and the mortgage is paid, that's all I really care about. Now, if you get a late payment fee because you wanted to buy a video game, oh, man, the guilt and the the shame and the the disappointment that you personally feel and I just don't care. I don't. I just you got to let it go. You got to let those certain things go. 
So how do we manage passion, love, and intimacy while balancing that caregiver relationship? You know, keep those boundaries, boundaries, keep those expectations. It's okay to let some things go and give them some responsibility because there's just, there's no need, there's no urgency to return to quote unquote normal. Why don't you just focus on how to be happy now? Being happy now to me means drinking my tea and, you know, leaving my husband to go about the house and expecting that, you know, he will or will not look at the calendar and he will or will not do chores. You know, everyone's everyone's expectations have to be different and you have to just step back and say, do I have the right expectations today? Does he have the right number of spoons to get up and do a single chore? And that may look like, hey, Brandon, I expect you to be doing three chores today. So he really pushes himself to do at least one. And I know deep down that he's only going to be doing one. That's fine. And I'm going to just focus like, wow, you did an amazing job on the one chore. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. And if it doesn't get done, no, okay, it doesn't get done. Let's just try it tomorrow. It sucks that it didn't get done. I'm sorry. Let's move on. Not a big deal. What movie are we watching tonight? But the the passion and the love and the intimacy, I think, is something that is damaged when you allow yourself as a caregiver to hold yourself to those high expectations. Um, you know, imagine yourself as a parent. Your head, your kid's gonna, you know, mess up at some point. Maybe they won't get perfect grades. Maybe. Um, they won't do something a certain way. They won't clean the floors. Look, you're the only one with those high expectations. Reset them. Reset them. Because at the end of the day, we're both still alive. We're both still breathing, thank God. And, you know, we have an opportunity to be happy. That's it. That At the end of the day, I think that's the most thing. So the loneliness, it can be lonely. The only thing that I can say is get involved with the community as much as you're able to. Personally, I I don't like to commiserate too much. Um, one thing that helps me with my loneliness is I talk to my friends and family about things non-caregiver related. Now, if they ask, I'll, I will absolutely share how's everything going, how's recovery, and I'll be like, oh, it's great, you know, we're doing this and that and the other but let's talk about our hobbies. Like, let's talk about politics. Let's talk about something not caregiver related. To me, that really helps a lot with the loneliness. You still have to treat your spouse as your spouse too. You know, we have date nights. Um, we have moments where, look, after five o'clock, you're not working. I'm not working. I'm not worried about chores. I'm not worried about my job or your job. Let's just eat dinner, like what should we cook? Let's just lay down and cuddle and and just talk about our days, what went right, what went wrong. It's at the end of the day, you have to be able to look at yourself and tell yourself, you know, I'm lonely and I do need support. I do need emotional validation and it's okay to ask for it and receive it either from your friends or your loved one. Don't hold yourself to such high expectations that, you know, you're always going to fail. In reality, it's failure happens, right? That's the theme of the podcast. Just let it happen naturally. Let it go and try better next time.
Um, I think with brain injuries and being a caregiver, that's it's something that's just unavoidable. It's unavoidable. And guess what? Allowing your loved one to fail is probably the best thing that you can do for them in their recovery. It will help them more than you think it will. So that's all that I've got for this podcast. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next time.